Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Namaste, my beautiful Yoga Revealed podcast family. This is Alec Shaw Rubin, and I'm so excited to welcome you back to another episode. Today, join me and a brother, Patrick Harrington, as we dive into his story of finding yoga, deciding to create community from one studio's birth into the rise of what you may have known as kindness yoga in Denver, Colorado. And through the fire of the pandemic and thousands of yoga studios closing almost overnight, along with the intensity of the cancel culture and community call out, Patrick shares his vulnerable story of taking his own ownership, learning through the lens of becoming the student once again, and in time cultivating the kindness collective to birth the lens of serving yoga in a new and profound way. And this is all about evolving our habits from where they are to where they wish for them to be. This is yoga, and this is the Yoga Revealed podcast. I'm so excited to dive deep with you and another yogi's journey today. Aloha, good morning, namaste, Yoga Revealed podcast. It is so wonderful to be with you on this wonderful day. That rhymes. My name is Alec Vishal Rubin, and I'm coming to you live from beautiful Boulder, Colorado. And it's been some time, yes, indeed. And Yoga Revealed, one of my favorite insights about Yoga Revealed, I'll share with you, my friends, is the infinite wisdom of yoga that exists within ourselves to be able to learn how to polish the being that we see and how we approach and how we reach out into the world beyond. Our, our yoga practice has so much to teach us, right? From the inside and outside of ourselves. And I'm so excited to be able to host and connect with a dear brother and an amazing soul, a yogi on the planet, on the path. His name is Patrick Harrington. Good morning, brother. Good afternoon. Morning. Thank you so much, Alec, for having me here. Um, super excited to connect with you today. Thanks. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here as well, man. It's been a, a journey. We, we've, we've been in each other's field for so many years, just being 
different growing leaders and expanding leaders and powerful leaders in the in the Colorado yoga community. And uh, there's been so much transformation through not just the lat, like boom, wow, <laughs> <laughs> so much transformation. But I've I've always respected you as just a, a a father, as a leader, as a yogi of the heart, someone who is just always so receptive to feedback and giving feedback and and driven to serve the vision of yoga and and driven to serve the vision of community is really like when I think of you, I think of community. And I, I feel that so many people in the world, especially the yogis, we really want community. That's yeah. so much of what we want. So yeah, thank you so much for being here. And, you know, Patrick, the, the first question always for our podcast is how, how was yoga revealed to you? <laughs> Such a, uh, immediately I, I go back in time, obviously, but uh, my mom really thought that it would be good for me uh, to try yoga. And, and, and she thought, of course, my mom, Roseanne, is, uh, she's an angel here on earth. She's an amazing, amazing lady. And I'm, I feel so blessed with my parents. But one of the things that she always tries to do is find things that we could do together. And so I was a sophomore in high school. And going through some challenges, as you do when you're in high school. And she took me to a little yoga studio, an Iyengar yoga studio off of Colorado and Evans down here in Denver. And it was right next to a metaphysical bookstore. And I think now there's a high-rise condo building there. But back in the day, it was uh, one, of the, one of the few meccas of um, you know, spirituality and, and yoga. And this was 19... 19. That's how long ago it was. It was in the 19s. Uh, let's see, graduated. So that would have been 1988. And um, yeah, I went to a, a, a yoga class and a Yingar yoga class. And the instructor was pretty and blonde and supported me and gave me some, gave me some attention. And I didn't get any attention from girls when I was a sophomore in high school. So I was just really, and it felt good, right? It, it really felt good. It made my body feel good. I felt relaxed. Um, my mom gave me props, which always feels good. And I said to myself, wow, that, that really was awesome, unexpected and awesome. And I think we maybe did one or two more classes. And then, you know, as, as one wants to do when they're a sophomore in high school, they moved on to the next thing, but it made a huge impression on me and always, I think just crack the seal on, you know, yoga, not being something that's intimidating. I think that first class for so many people can be the, the biggest challenge. It's just like, what's it going to be like? Am I going to be good enough? Uh, I can't touch my toes, you know, all the kind of reasons that, that keep us out of, out of trying something new and especially something that's know, physical, spiritual, mental practice like yoga. Um, so I'm, I'm so grateful that she cracked the seal. I love how you say that cracked the seal. That's awesome. Yeah. Take the top off. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) I love it. So that was the, the intro journey. And and when did it really become a piece where you're like, wow, I'm going to, I want to pursue this. I want to create a livelihood from the vision of yoga, from creating freedom in my mind and my body and my spirit and my soul, right? That's one of BKS Iyengar's 
books is uh, Light on Life. And he talks about how yoga is this pathway to creating freedom in our life through yoga. When, when did you decide? Because, right, it's always a decision, right? Our life can change in one decision. Yeah. When did that decision happen for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there was a couple of places where I think, you know, I, I love Hansel and Gretel and this idea of life leaving breadcrumbs that re- help us remember how we get back home. And I think so often about yoga and meditation as each day's practice, each day's experience is like a little bed- breadcrumb leading you back ultimately to the heart, to home, inside. And, um, and so when I was traveling, after I graduated from college, I had earned enough miles, you know, growing up with a single mother who was a travel agent. And we'd, I had enough miles. And, sh- and I said, you know, I'm, I'm considering moving to San Francisco to go hang with my buddy and try something new. And she said, hey, Pat, you have a free ticket to Europe. And the miles are going to go up next year. And you won't have a free ticket next year. And I don't know how much you'll be traveling. And so I really encourage you to go to Europe and, and check it out. And so I, I got on a plane and I told her, I'm not coming home until I speak another language. And so it was like an open-ended ticket. And I ended up going around to lots of different country, countries. I um, had an unlimited Eurail pass at the time and could just kind of cruise for the first three months. And, um, and I found that I would, I would go and look for a yoga class in a new city and <clears throat> go there and the class would be taught in English or in the language that it was in. And there was this one particular place in Sevilla, Spain, where it was being taught in English and Spanish. And, and every one of these classes was in somebody's house. And so you get to go and you're in Europe and you're seeing somebody's flat or home. And there's other like three, four, five, six people who know this person or don't, but usually there's a community there. And inevitably being there, I'd meet other people like-minded and it was just kind of had me settle in. And it was kind of just this way of settling the nervous system wherever I would land somewhere for a week or a weekend or a month. And um, so that really stuck with me. And then fast forward, um, I, my, my, in my previous life, I was married to a woman from Paris and we met and she moved to Colorado. And I immediately, as soon as we got married, I started to think in my head, cause she really wanted babies. And I was like, okay, babies. So then I, I made a decision over here that what I need to do is start making enough money for us to do that. I didn't check in with her about that. I just made that decision myself. And so I started working eight, 10, 12 hours a day. And she knew me as a you know, fancy free traveling person without a lot of responsibilities. That's who she fell in love with. And about a year into us being in Colorado and her really not having English as her first language and felt comfortable speaking with me in English, but really felt quite isolated. She started taking Bikram yoga in Cherry Creek and uh, at a place called Yoga Energy. And that was one of the first kind of main closer to downtown studios in Denver. It's kind of like the grandmother studio. It was one more down south called Center Strength that was kind of the first the first Bikram, but really the first like mass market kind of people coming, lots of people coming to classes. And she caught into Bikram yoga and started practicing sometimes two times a day. She'd walk two or three miles to get there from the house because she didn't have a driver's license. 
And I just watched her transform, get stronger, get clearer, be more open, be more confident. And after about six or seven months of her practicing, you know, seven, eight, nine times a week, she said, I've decided I know what I want to do with my life. I want to become a yoga teacher. And we, we had really been struggling. You know, we weren't married, but more than maybe 18 months at that point. And I said, okay, well, you're going away for nine weeks to the Bikram training in LA, in Hollywood, which were, were all great teacher training start in Hollywood, California. And it was just funny now looking back. And I said, please use this time, use this deep practice to decide if you want to be married. Because really, marriage was what we wanted to do. We wanted to be together, but marriage facilitated her at being able to have a job here. And it just made things, it lubricated the wheels for somebody that was immigrating. And, but the premise above all was that we love each other in freedom. And so the question was, you know, do you really want to keep operating like this together? Or would you like something different? And so take these nine weeks, this deep study with Bikram and and come back and, and let's let's hear from you. And so she came back and after about a week of being back, I could tell she had grown remarkably and we went to a park and had a picnic and she said, um, I've decided that I don't wanna be married anymore. And I've decided that I don't want it to be a, like a trial to see what happens. I've decided I, I wanna move back to France and I want to be complete in our relationship. And I had always said that I love you enough to love you away from me if that's, what you choose. And, um, and so we cried a lot and it was, it was beautiful, but based on what she had said to me, and I had been practicing Bikram yoga with her, you know, on and off, but basketball was my real passion. Based on what she said, she got from the training. I said, I want that for my life. I want to experience what you say you got from this training and this deep dive. And so I immediately told my mom who I was was in business with at the time that I wanted to sell the company. We approached our employees. They were super excited about the prospect of selling the company. And I'm from the time that I said, I want what you, you, you have, I want the experience or something similar for myself, Marine, that was her name. That is her name. Um, to joining the next Bikram yoga teacher training that was available was like a six month period. So it was really a decision, I'll put it up for sale and go. And, um, so yeah, that was, that was an incredible experience and it, and it was, and it dovetailed on this decision to get divorced. And so it was kind of perfect, you know, to dive deep into self out of this transition, out of this, this big decision to get married. And, um, yeah, so it was beautiful. Yoga was, and was my, if I could say my advocate and my solace and my empowerer, right? Like such a such a powerful opportunity. Wow. It was great. And I think, I think this is such a wonderful story because I believe listeners are able to have the connection and the relationship to making a link in their own life to maybe a destruction or a transition or a passing of a known experience into how yoga comes in as this great catalyst to yeah shift every fabric of our very reality, how we see ourselves, how we see life, how we are able to, you know, create seva and selfless service and create a, a, a generate a level of impact. And it's just, that's um, an amazing personal and vulnerable story. And, you know, I'm curious upon the next rock that landed its way, which became kindness yoga. 
in Denver, yeah. Colorado, which then I'll just plant the seed so you can also continue the story in its own micro expedited and intentional vulnerable ways of being like the kindness collective. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, thank you. So yeah, thank you. yeah, bro. We, um, so I came back from the teacher training and having always been an entrepreneur, my dad was an, an entrepreneur for um, much of my formative years. And so I just watched him and, um, you know, adopted his work ethic, which some would say is borderline workaholic, um, and his passion for figuring it out, his passion for um, creating something. And so I came back from the teacher training and I said, I, I, I'm going to work at multiple studios to kind of just see how this works, what, what they're doing, why they're doing it. And so I worked with several different um, owners in town and eventually uh, it became clear that the Cherry Creek studio where, we, where it all started, Yoga Energy, could use a, a reinvention of itself. And so I made an offer to the former owner, Rosalie Smith, forever indebted to her, one of the true leaders and pioneers in yoga in Denver. And um, she accepted and then we were off. And at that same time, I started dating another person here in town, Desi Springer, and her sister, Micah Springer, many people recognize those names. They had Highlands Bikram Yoga and Golden, Golden's Bikram Yoga. And so she and her sister, Desi and Micah, really served as mentors and uh, obviously new family. And we really dove in together. And after about three years, um, we became Vital Yoga. Now, maybe it was more like five years. We became Vital Yoga. And... Um, merged in name and outward appearance and really got the idea of how can we leverage each other's, you know, micro geniuses, different things. We're each good at different things and these communities and with the intention of having more and more impact and impact really from the perspective of collectively lowering the stress in our city. The idea that if Alec goes to a yoga practice and comes out feeling a little relief, then Alec is a better driver. Alec is a better coworker, a better son, a brother, father, friend. And by doing that, that little ripple, then who he comes in contact with is a little bit better and so forth and so on. Because I, I've never been a fan of only looking at politics as the solution, right? or activism as the solution. I think that it really comes down to individuals making better and better decisions over time. And so it's always been this point of how can I have the biggest impact? And literally that idea has been just provide more space for more people, particularly from the brick and mortar standpoint. The more people that can practice, the more we lower the collective stress, the more we have less crime, the more we have less discontentment, the more we have less conflict and so forth. And that ripples up then into the decisions that we make with the politics, with buying decisions and so forth. And so we were the vital yoga for two or three years. And Desi and I had kind of moved into a place where we were you know, choosing different forms of being in relationship. And I met my um, then now wife, Cameron, and her and I started dating and um, it became clear that that was going to continue to, to blossom and develop. And uh, Desi and I decided to split it off from a personal standpoint. 
And at that point, um, she and her sister requested that they keep the name Vital. And um, that felt really good to me. And so Cameron and I decided we were going to work together on the single studio in Cherry Creek at the time. And what name really resonated for us. And more than that, Vital Yoga was something that vitality at that time of my life really meant something. And I wanted to be accountable for vitality. I wanted to be accountable to teach it. I wanted to be example to, to, to be an example of it. And so we asked ourselves, what do we want to be an example of? And Cameron suggested kindness. And at first, kindness can could be this kind of word that at least at that time, keeping in mind that was like 2009, 2010, you know, kindness is an interesting thing, a, a little side story to, to give a context of, I think, how it, how it shows up as polarizing. I was at a, at a party right around this time when we were trying to decide on the name, and I was talking to a guy who was just whip smart. He was a lobbyist and a lawyer and, you know, mid-20s, just an overachiever in many, many ways. And I was telling him that we were going to be changing the name of our business, and he was a yogi at our Highlands location with Desi and Micah. And I said, so tell me, what do you think about the name kindness yoga? And he paused for a moment and got thoughtful. And he said, well, when I think about kindness yoga from my time living in Latin America, kindness means who we are, hmm. right? Kindness in our culture, kindness in the way that we operate together. When I think about my time living in India and the family that I spent time with there, I think of kindness as family, this culture. When I think about kindness growing up as a football player in the United States, I think about kindness as weakness. Mm. And so he said, you know, you really have to think about where are you coming from? And how are you going to interact with that? And it really sealed the deal for me because I wanted a filter on the community, a filter that was aspirational. And what I found over the years is that names have vibrations and they have a tractor factor. They have a magnetism that's involved with them. And that certain people walk down the street. And of course, Cherry Creek North used to have tons of street traffic, walking traffic. And I would sit out in front of the studio and we had our sign up and we had a, you know, a, an A-frame sign out in front and I would watch. And there were people who would walk by and the word kindness did not catch their eye at all. But, but a different word on the wall, a different one of the businesses in the building we shared would catch their eye. And then I would watch people see kindness and immediately you could tell that's a person who's always looking for kindness. As soon as the word appeared, they zeroed in on it. And then if it was yoga, well, maybe or maybe not, it would continue. And I found that with that as the premise, I wanted people and came to know that people getting paid, receiving a paycheck with kindness on it makes a little difference. People that see a, a credit card receipt after they purchased some classes with kindness on it makes a little difference. People that wear a t-shirt that says, I practice kindness, makes them and the reader a little more accountable for something that they wouldn't maybe be before. Mm. 
Mm. And so this word just kept unpacking itself over and over. And, you know, even down to like driving by it on the street, you see kindness. Does that make an, a difference over time for people? I, I hope so. And, and so, yeah, kindness yoga was born in 2010. And, and around that same time, we got an invitation to take a look at a space on South Broadway. And, um, we decided to take that on. And that's when Cameron became a partner and she invested, um, with some of her savings and we opened up the Broadway studio and became our second location. And so then over the course of the next really 10 years, we added another seven locations and really grew with the premise that our main mission is to provide a living wage for yoga teachers. And um, at that time, you know, it was uh, really based on an idea that yoga teachers would receive an amount per head and that it's a partnership. You bring in your people, we bring in the other people and we share in how much bounty we can create together. And it was a really amazing uh, learning experience because I found that um, not everyone is entrepreneurial. Not everyone wants to do the, the work that is building their own time slot, for example, or their own brand. And that it's very, it's really a very small percentage. And when you read about entrepreneurship, you know, the statistics are like one or 2% of the population are what they would term true entrepreneurial. I don't know what true entrepreneurial means, but, but in this situation of having had now hundreds and hundreds of teachers that we've worked with, the number of people that have really taken on the job as if it was their job is less than 10 teachers total. And I think that it was, it's really a crazy thing, the, the model of brick and mortar studios, because it's, it's not a hand over fist money-making endeavor. Almost all yoga studios are barely making it. If you look at core power yoga, they really haven't been profitable. Um, the first owner made a lot of money when he sold. But since then, even that massive organization has a really hard time making the model square, especially with rising rents and so forth. And so um, really entering into this conversation of a mission to support yoga teachers in making a living wage was because I'm a yoga teacher. And that's that. And, and I just happened to stumble forward in, oh, sure, we, ha we have enough money in the bank to open up another location. Great, let's do that. Does it make fiscal sense to do that? Are we looking long-term? No, we're looking like right now, can we make more of a difference? Yes. And so we would. So we grew by stumbling forward. One of the, one of the coolest ways that we grew was um, we had a hilltop location and I had the opportunity to, be, to buy into the building itself that a friend of mine was, was purchasing. And I just needed to put a small amount of money to buy in because for credit and other reasons, it just looked better for me to be a part of it but rather than the owners singly by himself. And so at that time, Groupon was just getting started. And if you remember at the beginning, Groupon, you would get, you would get given all of the money from your sale in one big lump check. And then you would have to make that stretch for paying people and rents and so forth over the course of eight weeks or however long your classes that people would use would, would, would take. And so we got this $24,000 check and what I needed to buy in was 25,000. And so I took that single Groupon check and I signed it over and took a thousand dollars out of the bank account 
And I told the team, I said, okay, guys, we're opening up a new location. We're going to bring it, bring yoga and kindness to this new area. But we need to make up this difference over the next three months because that money is already spent essentially when you get the group on. So we took a chance on ourselves and a bet on ourselves and we declared we're going to make this happen. And, you know, for those of you that know the stories, it, it worked out. It worked out. We made it, we made it over the hump, so to speak. And that set up a precedence for us in our business that we took risks in order to bet on teachers and, and giving a, uh, uh, an individual per head rate that we felt like was really competitive and a way for them to make their own business. And in terms of our growth, we would make bets on ourselves and we would say, okay, we're going to go for it. Why? Because our mission is butts in the seat. Our mission is to get more people receiving stress relief and more teachers getting paid a living wage. Because both of those are symptoms of a good culture moving forward. And so uh, it worked. It worked. We, we had a tr tremendous um, community. It's a really, really something I'm so proud of and made a big difference in my life. And I think a lot of other people's lives, the breakthroughs that we'd hear on a regular basis were super inspiring. And um, then Cameron and I had a chance to, to um, really think about what we wanted to do for our children. We, had, we were just um, recently had our second child, Dabney Rose. And we asked ourselves, what, what, what experiences do we want to bring to them? And what experiences do we want to bring our, to ourselves? And so um, we had recently started meditating to Dr. Joe Dispenza. And for those of you that know his work, he really asks you to take a look at what do you want to create in your life? How do you want to create it? What does it feel like for it to have already been successful? And so we, I had assisted on a, on a, on a retreat of his where I taught yoga and got to be you know, friends with him and understand more about it. And Cameron was with me. So we came back to Denver and we started meditating at 5 a.m. every morning with this intention of living on the beach somewhere for a year. That was our goal. And we started meditating together and feeling the feeling and visualizing the same things. We would connect on what we were going to meditate on together before we did it. And it wasn't two weeks in when we got a newsletter from the place that Cameron graduated her teacher training from down in Nosara, Costa Rica, the Nosara Yoga Institute. And this amazing couple, Don and Amba Stapleton, who had been raising teachers down there at that location for 23 years, decided that they were going to sell and do something different. And we saw that and we said, wow, is this a sign? And um, I said, I, I think it is. I think this is a project that I think, because I'm Irish, right? Right. Being down in the sunshine on the beach is a little bit like, ah, I, I want, I want the shade mostly. So I, I, I questioned like for a year down on the beach, what will I do with myself? It felt like, oh, this is going to be crazy. But this taking on this next thing and having a place where we could titrate the teachings from group classes where people get a little taste, little taste, little taste, having a place down South where someone could travel, get out of their triggers be around other people that are saying yes to that same experience and go deeper and be able to seed the world with people who are even more densely committed to their practice. Workshops, teacher trainings, and so forth felt like, yes, this is the next level for us and the next level for us to spread kindness.
And so um, I went down and the January 23rd with a couple of friends, investors, and uh, we came home on the 27th under contract for this amazing retreat center down there. And um, we made a quick, again, a quick decision. Some would, some might say an impulsive emotional decision. I would, I wouldn't disagree with them. And um, I shared with my staff that we were leaving and that this was an opportunity for people to step one layer up, I would be stepping down and someone else would be taking the CEO position. And Ellen Kay, our general manager at the time was just uh, an amazing light and someone is an amazing light and an amazing learner and someone so earnest and a family, one of our family. And she was the natural candidate for that. And so um, it ended up that there was a legal dispute between neighboring parcels of land that ended up taking out our contract. But we had moved down there. We had set up our business to be able to operate and, and trying to have this experience of, okay, now Patrick, do something different for a while and trust. And during that time, we grew by about four studios. And we went from maybe 75 teachers to almost 160. It's amazing. And um, that was an amazing ride and one that I was not as as intimately a part of as I think I would have liked to, like to be. Mm. And I really took my eyes off of the road and and didn't support our team in a way that that um, that I'm super proud of. But at the time, I was I was trying something different. I was I was leaning into an edge that was totally different. And so, uh, 2019, we moved back um, to support the team, to support kindness, and um, uh, our our amazing Ellen got married, ended up getting pregnant really quickly, and it just made sense for her to step into the next uh, you know kind of iteration of her life. And I took over the CEO position again. And the entire team essentially remade itself. And this was after a ton of growth and a ton of new teachers and a ton of people that really didn't know me. And, um, and then very soon after that, pandemic hit and we closed. And that was an amazing, amazing experience for so many of us, right? This unforeseeable thing. And um, I remember it was March 7th. I took a, cl- I was teaching a class. It was totally packed. I walked out drenching in sweat and I came up to our manager at the time, Alyssa. And I said, man, if this virus thing is real, there's no way we can stay open because it was just humid and moisture and breath. And, and we laughed and lo and behold, that Friday, the 13th, March 13th, um, Polis shut down the city. And uh, so that was a that was that was incredible. Our team started working seven seven days a week instead of you know five days a week. Our our workload went through the roof. We were just it was incredible the way that the team came together. But but the workload was so intense at that time. You'd think it would be less, but we were surprised by just how much more care we needed. And um, and so we had we had we had gone through this process. Fast forward to. The George Floyd, um, yeah, debacle, and uh, the weekend that Eric Chauvin's um, co-workers, the other police officers, were acquitted, was the weekend that that riots and violence and fire in Minneapolis really went off. And we had a scheduled social media post that 
was just part of the routine, right? And lo and behold, it was on Saturday night that we sent out something that says, what does your family do on game night? And it was a picture of a Scrabble board and a rather innocent post. But on Monday morning when we came in and, and really locked back into work, what we didn't realize by being a donation-based studio is that we had an obligation or we, we, had a, we had a position within our community of people that wanted to hear more from us around what was going on with the Chauvin trial and, and Mr. Floyd. And we didn't, we were, we were glued to the televisions or we were taking a break finally from seven day work weeks. So we had been offering BIPOC classes, LGBTQ plus classes as affinity spaces. And that was challenging for many of our clients and many of our, many of our, you know, the majority of our students were white identifying people. And they felt like this was really hard to understand. Why wouldn't they be invited to a particular yoga class, a BIPOC class, for example? Or if they were straight, why couldn't they go to an LGBTQ plus class? And our position was, we're, we apologize that you don't understand this. And we feel that there's something, even if we cannot quite identify what it is, that a BIPOC only class offers a person that identifies in that way that a class mixed with white identifying people doesn't it's just a shift and in the wellness world and the yoga world it's a primarily a white you know um populated situation i'm sure you've felt similar things alec being one of the only brown people in the room and um and so we, we were getting amazing feedback from these classes and the relief that would come and and people after the classes, there would be a circle set up so that you could process what's it like to be an LGBTQ plus person in a majority, you know, um, straight identifying world. What's it like to be BIPOC in a yoga class and how does it feel? And the relief that people were having felt really worth it. But at the same time, we were creating a schism with this and just experimenting. Right, experimenting and 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 watching how race was becoming more and more um, a, a point of conversation, a point of contention within the yoga world, and um, and so after the post, the ill time post around game night came out, we um, we looked to make amends. We apologized, and shortly thereafter, one of our teachers resigned publicly, and. Um, I responded to her resignation in a way that I felt was from my heart and also just really without a lot of, without really being informed about the situation. I, I really, I really was under-informed um, about the movement, uh, the BLM movement and so forth. And it ended up that that caused a lot of attention, a lot of negative attention and kindness was called out and, um, it was it was one of the most uh, stressful gifts that have ever been given to me in that uh, we really got to hear from a very um, passionate group of people about the state of the world and that kindness was a symptom of that state of the world and that there were injustices and ways of seeing the world that, that I was not aware of. And it woke me up very quickly 
And at the same time, after being closed for three and a half months, the financials, the financial pressure and debt that had accumulated, Cameron and I made the decision to close the studios. And it happened quickly, happened rapidly. And one of the things that I think is so potent and for me to understand is that stress, there's, there's one layer of stress that we live with, right? Like, you know, you may live by a busy street and friends come over and they're like, oh my God, how do you stand the, the, the sound on this street that you live in? And you're like, what sound? Mm. Where we, get, we get used to a layer of stress in our lives and we can make then some, some you know, good decisions. When something like the call out happens or, or what we're you know, now learning is more of, of a cancel culture movement occurs, the person that's being focused on, in this case, my wife and I, I'll speak from our experience, doesn't have the mental practice to know how to respond. And so end up coming from this place that would be more like an animal, a fight, flight, or freeze. And so um, in my case, I had no, I, no idea how I'd respond. I had ways I, I'd ideally like to respond, but I hit, I choose to do minimal communication and kind of, we left town. We sold our house to pay off as much debt as we could. And we rolled to Virginia where, where we uh, have been living. And, uh, and I've really been feeling into how to support community, how to support the people that felt let down or abandoned or hurt by our actions, the people who were confused and didn't know anything about what was going on. And all of a sudden just got an, a, a, an email saying that we were closing, closing. Why? And this whole time I've been just really reflecting on how to contribute to the world because that's all I have ever done. And that's what is so, yeah. So, so, wow. so much. Yeah. Can I pause you right there? Please. Thank Let's you. take a deep breath. <laughs> wow. Wow. So much is there. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I know myself and the listeners feel just deeply being able to hear the journey, right? The finding, the, the birthing, the deciding factor. I want to do this and, and create this community space. And then just like in in less than a quarter, it just was stripped. Right. And, and, you know, yeah. something came up for me that I feel like you have such a profound experience to share within the identifying factor, right? You were identified once upon a time with this company that you have with your mom. Hey mom, we're going to sell this thing. We're gonna do something yeah. else. And, and, and vital identified, you know, and there mm. these other partnerships that you had had vested emotional, physical, spiritual, financial, energy and tangible energy into that you identify like I wake up I'm vital I wake up I'm kindness I wake up I am and with having gone through so much iteration of the identifying factor of what you have seen yourself to be as was is will be like what are you now Mm. What, 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 and what would you say to somebody who's listening to this is like, oh my God, I am in that in my own. Yeah. What would you tell somebody who's in that? Yeah. Cause you're, you're on another side of it, you know, mm-hmm. you really are. Yeah. Thank you. I, the first thing that comes to mind is death is safe. 
and that this death of identification is is a practice and there's there's something about the human evolutionary story where you know we used to be identified with a and oftentimes a familial generational lineage you know blacksmith shoemaker leather worker farmer horse person and the identity was the way you survived you know how you manage a horse and train a horse would be passed from person to person and the identity was what you used to survive you had to have an identity that was useful within a community or you were a drain without being without giving without contributing and so the identities were much more fixed and and it was it was that way because that's the way the world was that's the way technology existed that's the way that you know the the infrastructure for supporting humans existed there wasn't a social network a social security system um there wasn't you know uh, soup kitchens there wasn't there wasn't places for people that the system didn't have space for Th- those people died and so the idea of my father is a blacksmith i will be a blacksmith was rooted in i'm contributing i'm valuable i have an identity i'm alive and throughout my life, um, at various points, I have completely shifted my identity and in some cases willingly let it go because I could see something that was available. And in some cases, you know, from the outside in, it felt like I have to make this choice in order to survive. I mean, one of the things that's so interesting about identity is that from the perspective of our name and our place within, say, a family for the life of humans, if you were ostracized, if you, if you did something that infracted upon the community in such a way that they said, you need to go, that was a death sentence. You cannot survive on your own. And so if you were asked to leave a community, the body goes into fight or flight responses. And, um, and so from, from practicing over time, these little deaths, and from practicing savasana at the end of every yoga practice and from teaching savasana over 20 years to people the practice of death is always happening right now we've passed almost you know 40 minutes in this conversation those those 40 minutes are gone this is a death practice every day is a death practice and why that's significant to me is that death and how we die how we transition from moment to moment is exactly how we how we live and most of us are in this conversation around death that says, someday, maybe I'll die. Even though we know that we haven't had anybody that's in our, in our experience escape death. Ultimately, one day it appears that everyone leaves the body. And so the reason the yoga practice is so powerful, to me, this is the, this is the paramount reason that yoga is so powerful, is that especially in the West, the only very spiritual piece that I think we practice kind of across the board as an average from, you know, gym yoga to um, basement yoga at somebody's house is the practice of savasana, the practice of little death. And that works on you over time. And it works on you when you get that you're laying down and releasing all that you're ready to do release in order for you to come back to life 
ready to take it on. And so I think ultimately, you know, for somebody that's going through a crisis of identity, not the sooner you let go of that identity, but importantly, how you choose to process the letting go of that identity will, can make it that go from a rocky road to more smooth. And that's why the yoga practice, you know, it can be something that, that is forgotten about when we're going through hard times. But man, if you take 15 minutes, if you take 20 minutes, if you take an hour a day to move the body and open up the tissues where all of the stress lives as we are holding on to an identity, it will make such a world of difference. And the amount of resources that we have online and now, you know, maybe they're going back into person or not. There's there, the only way, the only reason that you wouldn't do that is if your ego really wanted to suffer. Because there is the release of suffering in the yoga practice and meditation mm. practice. And I know that we know that. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, as, as we do come to the to end of this, you know, I'm, I'm so curious, like the kindness collective has been birthed because of yeah. this deeper desire to serve into community. And you get to do that from, from time, location, freedom, which is, I think, an amazing blessing. And uh, I'm sure there will be other iterations and other <laughs> identifying factors of what is this and how we're serving maybe in person. And right now it's online. Like, could, could you share just a little bit of what sure. is unique to Kindness Collective for the listeners of, of Yoga Revealed podcast and, and yeah. what you're creating you. right now? Well, what, what to me, and I think for a lot of yogis that have practiced for a while, um, the experience of yoga in the West has been asana. And um, from more fitness perspective, um, in some cases, even to the more spiritual spaces, the primary focus has been on the physical poses. And what I found to be so incredibly rich was often the conversations at the front desk before and after class. The conversation between students after a particular practice where someone would say, hey, Alec, how did it feel when or what did you think of blank? And that that really was the rubber meeting the road. And, you know, for some people, they would ask their teacher, hey, can we go get tea or, or you know, a coffee or some? I'd love to hear more on your perspective on this. But there wasn't a, a really organized format for people to do that. And so what has been a, a huge um, gift in you know, this whole process has been this idea of can we get together and have a, a Dharma circle, have a coaching time where the teacher gets to share something from the yoga practice to a group of, teach, a group of students, excuse me, and let that marinate within the group, but then break people up within Zoom, which has been to me a, a, an incredible community builder break people up so that two by two or three by three, they can have little micro discussions about what does this yogic wisdom mean for them? How does it land for them? And then throughout the week, they can take yoga practice with the same teacher or with a different teacher and have a similar type Dharma, have a similar type message be within the movement. And then likewise with meditation, live meditations where we're meditating with others. And there is science that is becoming more and more clear that says that when we move, when we meditate, when we converse on a topic that makes a difference, we immediately start to evolve our patterns. We start to evolve our habits. And really what this is about, the Kindness Collective, 
is evolving your habits from where they are to where you wish they to be. Why? Because right now we need all people, in my opinion, we need all people evolving their patterns upwards, moving their vibration upwards. Because to me, I don't think that there's time for us to walk back the poor decisions. In other words, to go back the path that we've walked on to try and fix things. To me, the path forward looks like something transformational. It looks like a, a level of a number of people that reaches a, a minority percentage, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 20% of the population of the planet to be upping their vibration. And at that moment, we experience a critical mass and shift occurs. And we as a collective species on the planet start to care for each other in a distinct way, one that we can't really conceptualize with the division that's happening right now, that we start treating the environment in a way that works for our lives and for the planet. And it happens quick. Mm. And so that's really at the heart of the Kindness Collective. Yeah. And what we're doing. And I had to write that sentence because it was so powerful. Kindness Collective being about evolving our habits from where they are and where we wish they to, where, where we wish them to be. And that is the yoga. Yes. It's bro. amazing. I love it, man. That's so amazing, Patrick. You know, thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank, thank you for, you know, out of all, a lot of the interviews that I've done on Yoga Revealed, a lot of it has been asking questions around, of course, hearing where yoga revealed itself and just asking different facets about practice and, and the theory of living life through the lens of yoga. And there's a lot of value in that. And this is story medicine. This is story medicine for someone who is going through a journey like this that may be to the height of hundreds of thousands of dollars, or maybe it's thousands of dollars, or maybe it is the deepest intimacy of the invaluable point that is someone's life. Mm -hmm. That might be a relationship. Mm -hmm. The money doesn't identify the level of severity or intensity or magnitude that is the shift in the change of someone's life of it being yoga death and kindness as the ultimate transformation right so your story medicines is just so so appreciated and so received here thank you thank yeah. you alec it's an honor to sit with you um thank you for your reflections thank you for your support thank you for your teachership mm. and um for all the things you're up to, man. It's just it's so kindred. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the last question always with Yoga yes. Revealed is, what is one golden nugget? One golden nugget that you want to offer to the listeners as they move forward with their journey? Yeah, it really, it really comes down to this conversation that that is on the other side's on uh, the other side of the death of a version of myself, the death of the version of the brick and mortar studio owner of 20 years, donation-based, that, that place, you know, lived in Denver, had a community of all that time to this place now, which feels very, very different, is what would you do if you knew that you couldn't die, really, and that it was safe, for you to completely shake up your life. 
what would you do looking at yourself in the mirror? And we see this in the great resignation that's going on right now, people choosing out of jobs that they've been in for a long time, this reflection that's going on with the pandemic. It's really asking us to, to, to say, what is it that's really important to you? And what are you waiting for? People are dying all around us. They always have been. But now the forces are even tightening the screws a little bit more. So for me, I need you to take on what you're going to take on because tomorrow is not guaranteed to anybody. Mm. And so I can tell you on the other side of multiple versions of myself, death, that albeit painful or exhilarating or transformational or inspiring, um, all of which rolled up into one, mm. you can do it. And if you can conceive of it, you can make it happen. Share it with somebody you love, help them make you accountable for it. Come visit us in the Kindness Collective and talk to people in community about it. Practice, move your body, meditate about it, and get in a practice that's mental, physical, and spiritual, communal all at once. And there's no more room for half stepping, so take it on. No more half stepping. No Ultra more heads. I love right. it, brother. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brother Patrick. So much Welcome. love. Infinite namaste. Aloha. Namaste. Yoga Revealed Podcast. Thank you so much. My name is Alec Shaw Rubin, and let's rise our vibration up together. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed this and you found resonance in Patrick's vulnerability, not only please leave us a five-star rating and share this episode on Instagram, tagging myself, Alec Love Life Yoga, and the Kindness Collective community on Instagram. And of course, your favorite yoga podcast sharing unique stories and powerful teachings of yoga, Yoga Revealed. You can go to kindnesscollective.com and use Alec Love Life Yoga as a code or follow the link in the description and you can tune in to the live classes that I'm teaching or the coaching sessions, the meditations. There's so much that Kindness Collective is offering. And my friends, 2022 is about to be the best year of our life. Not only just personally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, our community, Yoga Revealed is rising up and going to the next level. Andrew Seely and I are going to be creating some amazing offerings for you. Stay tuned. And if you are someone who is seeking to participate in the great resignation where people are making a choice to leave their nine to five jobs and work from home, work for themselves and create their own visions. And you want to do that through the vision of what I love to call our self-reliant healing superfood, these Saucha superfoods. Drop me a message on Instagram, Alec Love Life Yoga. For the last almost five years now, I've been working one-on-one -on -one with Purium, creating online and in-person mentorship to serve health, wealth, eco-friendly practices, a purpose, and levels of prosperity that is hard to find from being a full-time yoga teacher to being a nine-to-fiver. And sometimes I've found that this opportunity is the exact moment, the exact experience that so many of our souls are being able to seek, which is freedom and serving that freedom. So my friends, I'm so excited to leave you with a golden nugget for this upcoming year. And that is to 
hold discernment. Hold discernment, discernment for where is your time being spent? And where can our time and our energy be put forward in a way that allows us to be where we want to be one year from now? And what are the up level? What is the mindset shift? What is the the perspective that must shift in your life, your habits, your awareness, your daily non-negotiable practices in order for us to get there. And those, my friends, that experience, that daily yoga practice, meditation, uh, proper nutrition and drinking of the water, that is exactly what's going to help us get to where we need to be as a collective, as a community, as the leader that you and I are born to be. My friends, I love you so much. Have an amazing close to this year. And may all your dreams and wishes come true as we take each and every day to hold gratitude and light. Until next time, we'll see you in 2022. Namaste and aloha. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.